What's going on, everybody? It's another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. You know me. I am your host, Maxim Allen. Uh, this is the show where we talk about people's creative passions. Today is November 22nd, 2021. We are recording on Thanksgiving week. I hope you all are you all had a good time uh, and ate lots of food and got really drunk the night before or whatever or got some good Amazon deals. Uh, this week I have a repeat guest who brought along a friend. We're going to talk about something that uh, during his episode we were discussing at length that I wanted to have him back to talk about, and uh, he was he had the great idea to bring someone else on who also has a ton of expertise in the area. So I'm really excited for this episode. Everyone, please give it up for Dan Frank and Janet Yay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, welcome. I, I'm really excited about this because Dan's episode, when we talked about the organ, I was like learning so mm. many things. That was a great mm. conversation. Not all of them may have been true when I was listening <laughs> back on that. I was like, uh, wow, I hope I was right about this. Oh, boy. <laughs> So right now you guys you guys work together at a church which I will not name just for sake of privacy I guess we can. Um so what do you what do you do there? So let's start with Janet. Well, I'm on the music team there, so I am a associate organist and I direct several choirs mm-hmm. um from children's choirs all the way up to professional singers. Um and I play the organ and um do lots of musical concerts and things like that. Nice. And Dan? Uh, I'm a sacristan there, Mm -hmm. which is basically I there's priests in the church and I assist the priests in their ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, I like make sure that their their vestments are kept well. the, The the linens that are used on the altar are kept well and put out and put back in. And um the the sacristy were things like uh the bread and the wine that they use in church. I like prepare that for the services and for the priest. And then I do all this like little office things too. Like mm. I fill out invoices. You warm up the organ bench for Janet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I make sure her towels are out for like her heated towels. Yeah. <laughs> Hand massages. I do put out water <laughs> bottles for people in case they need like water, like breath mints and cough drops things like that because like the sacristans definitely keep us running um, yeah interesting i never honestly i don't think i've ever seen a priest uh take a sip of water i think that's something i've only seen from like bands and comedians <laughs> i'd like to see a priest come off stage for a second just wipe a towel and throw it into the crowd <laughs> and chug some water <laughs> no i think i think yeah like i I uh, I remember there was one day where like a priest had like a bit of a cough, and I remember like I put tea in strategic places for him to like drink, so that in case like during his sermon he needed to cough or something, and like I put it in his stall, and and he used all three of them. Wow, mm-hmm. that's strategy. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the sacristans kind of do. They anticipate all of the needs. You're a church PA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, basically. They set the whole area up. I make sure they have everything they need. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, how long have you been in the entertainment business? (laughs) (laughs) Four, ten years, actually. Yeah. Uh, Janet, how long have you been working there and doing all this directing and and organ? So, I actually started out there in 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. They hired me when I was an undergrad studying Mm -hmm. at Juilliard. And um, I was there for four years sort of working my way up from being a very lowly organ scholar, which means mm-hmm. you're sort of a trainee, turning right. a lot of pages for, for the real organists, 
Um, and so I really worked my way up over those four years and um, actually went away for grad school for mm -hmm. three years and was lucky enough to come back um, in 2018 and be full time and sort of have an expanded role. Mm -hmm. So it kind of has been about 10 years that I've been associated with this church. Wow. Um, That's really cool. So do you find that like, uh, I mean, you are obviously a very musical person. Do you feel like your roles in the church satisfy your musical itch for creating? I think so. I mean, being an organist is one of these jobs that is definitely unusual to begin with, mm -hmm. even within classical music. Yeah. Um, playing the pipe organ is a niche for sure. Mm -hmm. Like you might consider like opera singing to be one of those things that's very specific. Right. Um, organ is kind of like a niche within a ravine. Like it, it it's sort of really yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Um, we do actually a lot of different kinds of musical work, mm -hmm. everything from improvisation when we're playing during services um, to being concert performers to being choir trainers and directors mm. and writing new music and kind of having this knowledge of sacred music mm -hmm. over several centuries. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of um, an interesting job where it's not mm -hmm. just the same thing each day. It really is uh, multifaceted. Okay. Yeah. So while doing that, you're moving the service along too, you know, taking cues from what's going mm -hmm. on too, mm -hmm. while performing all the music. Yeah, there is definitely this sense of like keeping, um, keeping with the pace of what's mm -hmm. happening over, you know, a special service, depending on, you know, if it's Christmas Eve or if it's a special Sunday um, Eucharist. Do you ever play faster to kind of hurry things along? You're like, oh, should I get an appointment? I got, let's get this thing moving. I mean, we... <laughs> gotta get to the dentist. I won't list. say yes. I won't say yes to that on the podcast. But I will say, <laughs> I will say that we actually do watch the clock. So, mm -hmm. for example, if the service is supposed to start at nine, and you play a piece that um, is a little bit too long, you kind of have to find a way to improvise your way out of it. Or mm -hmm. if you come up a little short. And um, you have a few minutes to go. You kind of improvise in a French style or in a box style, depending on what you were just doing. So Whoa. there is a lot of kind of like spontaneous mm -hmm. creativity that comes along. Sounds with a little job. like stand up. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of does. The more that we're talking about it, if you're like not hitting with the crowd, you're like got ten more minutes up here. So what, what <laughs> do you right, do for work? Right, yeah. <laughs> or when you're in the middle of a four minute story and you get the mm -hmm. light and you're like, I have one minute to yeah. get to the best part. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have worked in churches where there's literally a red light signal for, mm. you know, weddings and funerals. And sometimes you are playing the prelude for a wedding and the family's just not ready to go or the bride's still like I 20 that. minutes away and you just keep vamping. <laughs> I had that once and I had no idea mm -hmm. what it meant. I was mm -hmm. up in like the loft playing at a funeral right. and like this like alarm was happening. <laughs> right. Like it was, it seemed so outdated. It was like, bam, bam. And I was like, I'm playing like a dirge right now. <laughs> so inappropriate. Right. And what does it even mean, too? I didn't know that it meant stop playing. Mm -hmm. The owner of the blue Prius in the parking lot, you're being towed. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, Janet, uh, why the organ? When did, you, when did you first get into this? Did you start with piano? I believe, Dan, you start with piano as mm. well, right? So why the organ for you, Janet? I definitely started with piano. I started playing when I was four and a half. Whoa. And I started playing violin when I was seven. Um, the, the one limitation for organ is that you have to be tall enough to reach the pedals. Mm -hmm. um, and I am 
not super tall. I'm 5'2". So okay. um, for years and years, um, the directors of music and the organists at the church that we went to, um, I'm from the D.C. area, mm -hmm. uh, would have me play these little piano pieces, but my feet would literally be swinging because I couldn't reach <laughs> all the way down to you know press all the notes in the pedal. So um, I think I was 11 or 12, and I did this local scholarship where they actually gave free lessons for a year mm -hmm. to piano students to try to encourage people to participate. I was the youngest kid um, in that program, and then it really sort of went from there. Mm -hmm. I The program was for the organ specifically? It was. Okay. It was all these teachers who donated their time to give free lessons for a whole year, and mm -hmm. um, I also sort of did a lot of playing piano, um, accompanying choirs at school, and I like, conducted handbell choirs and played for our school musical. So Whoa. I did a lot of different musical things outside of the organ, specifically. Mm. Um, but it sort of has come full circle that all of those different skills have mm -hmm. come back um, to be a part of what I do professionally now. Um, wow. So like you yeah. started and kind of like organ was just one of the many musical things you were doing. Right. And now it's kind of become more narrow. Mm -hmm. Did you, So you mentioned you went to Juilliard. Did you study any particular instrument? I focused on uh, pipe organ. So I actually okay. have a degree in organ performance, which is maybe something you didn't know that you could have. I have one. Yeah. Well, Dan has one. So there you go. Um, I actually knew that because I interviewed Dan a couple months ago. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, and uh, they put us on the fifth floor with all of the other noisy instruments. Mm -hmm. So we literally shared a hallway with the percussionists So and the jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. um, and there were times where you'd open the practice room in the organ hall and there'd be just like a marimba or <laughs> timpani in front of the doorway. Mm -hmm. um, but again, as organists, what we do is pretty solo mm -hmm. in music school um and so we weren't necessarily an orchestra we didn't necessarily do chamber music mm -hmm. so it still is a very specific area and the cool thing is that our teacher really encouraged us to work with composers who mm -hmm. were students at the time so once a year we do a showcase where they would write a piece with us um and then we would do a chamber thing where we actually had um this national radio show come in, like broadcast Ooh. one of our performances um, on Pipe Dreams, which is a show that's been on for a long time for Minnesota Public Radio. Mm -hmm. um, but but it is really a cool thing to be at music school in New York mm -hmm. because there's so many opportunities all around. So yeah. what was the point where you decided to pursue Oregon specifically in college? Because like starting out, like you're doing piano, you're doing organ, you're doing violin. Mm -hmm. You said handbell conducting <laughs> handbell conducting so yeah. was there a moment where you're like you know i want to like you realize that you want to do that as the main focus actually when you go into juilliard mm -hmm. you have to audition on the instrument that you are going to major in so i actually decided you know when i was 18 coming out of high school that i would go for that specifically mm, um that's a good strategy i feel like then you're not competing against as many other people too <laughs> <laughs> well and julia it's actually a really small school there are okay. only 800 students oh, wow. only 400 undergrads and everybody already has their major mm -hmm. picked out from the beginning mm -hmm. so you have people who play violin and piano um but you also have actors and dancers and mm -hmm. everybody is already training in mm -hmm. what they do there was a really short uh, sliver of time where I thought I might do something completely unrelated and mm -hmm. study like French and international relations um, 
but that sort of yeah went by the wayside so so that's really interesting how many how many other organists were there at your school it was a small department there were less than 10 and i was the only girl actually Mm. in the entire department interesting dan how many other organists were there at your school i was at Whoa. I was the first and last organ major. <laughs> started. There was a program for a while, but like no one ever took it. You know, people took it as their secondary instrument, but not their primary. <laughs> I was the first to do primary. Wow. I feel like there's just like there was one like really dusty old professor been tenured and you've just been waiting like waiting 15 years. Frank. Like, do you hear that, day. Dr. Epping? Old and dusty <laughs> professor. Oh my God. He would hate you right now. Uh, is he like young and spry, actually? He lights up the keys. I won't comment on okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's wild. Cause I mean, I'm um like I I, I have a degree in electrical engineering and my fir- <laughs> at CU Boulder at my first school of thirty five thousand students, I think in the electrical program there were probably like two to three hundred. Mm-hmm. And then I switched to CU Denver, which is a much bigger school, but it's commuter. Okay. And our department was probably like 40 people but like i can't imagine 10 or like one like (laughs) dan were you just taking classes alone for like two years no i took i mean i took individual lessons but we have this we had this clap called repertoire okay where uh like you get together with all of the other people that do your instrument Mm -hmm. and you kind of perform for each other Mm -hmm. and uh you discuss and your teacher kind of discusses at least my teacher discussed composers and stuff and Mm -hmm. i just went with the pianists okay i did piano anyway too Mm -hmm. so it was like interesting to see that okay but like yeah i did we got an organist one i think my senior year so we got to do like a rep class once Mm -hmm. but that was it just the one time (laughs) (laughs) so Kind of quest interest question here. How much in like when you study an interest instrument like this, how much of your coursework is about the history of the instrument? Is it just kind of like a one class per year, or do you just have like do you just almost do none of it and you just kind of learn along the way? Or um, so like Dan was saying, we had a very specific um, performance class because mm-hmm. um, it is a conservatory training um, for us. Um, so every Thursday we'd actually have to perform a public masterclass mm-hmm. and play a new piece every week that was open. Uh, we'd have to get up on stage and talk about it. And if you think about over four years, that is a lot of music that you're right. learning and, and, and preparing to be a solo concert. And because musician. you have to talk about it, you have to mm-hmm. research and learn. Okay. Exactly. So so that was a really focused thing. Um, we would also have related things like organ literature and organ repertoire and um, church music classes. Um, but beyond that, we took a lot of music classes with other people. So music theory, music history. Um, when I was in grad school, I took conducting and, you know, classes about famous composers like mm-hmm. Bach or, you know, um, contemporary composers and um we still took you know normal classes mm-hmm. like yeah english and ethics and um there was a exchange where if you wanted to take some serious math and science you could go up to um, columbia barnard and do that mm-hmm. and there are some insane people who kind of decided to go the med school route even after coming out of music school oh my god so i don't know can't compete with that but you know <laughs> 
I feel like people should start med school when they're like nine years old so you can just be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine like getting an undergrad degree and then being like, you know, actually med school too. And you know, yeah. 16 years of college. That yeah. sounds great. <laughs> so something I've also been wondering like leading up to this episode is when you're learning the organ, like obviously the organ is a very uh, church-focused instrument. How much of the music do you learn that's like like sacred whoop, sacred music versus it secular music? Because I know organ, they also have organ in like jazz, right? So like mm-hmm. Dan, did you was there a mix for you or? Um, I mean, not most of mine was like music was like ministry focused mm-hmm. music. I did like some pieces and I would play those pieces during services, you know, as like a postlude or um, a postlude's like a piece you play at the very end of the service, mm-hmm. like the grand finale. Okay. Or a, or a prelude, the beginning of it. But uh, I didn't, I didn't really do a lot of jazz organ. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't have like a teacher for that. Really? Mm-hmm. My, my teacher didn't know how to do jazz organ. Um, he he could do like jazz piano, which I kind of learned, but mm-hmm. it was mostly focused on like church music because that was kind of why I wanted to learn the music of Bach mm-hmm. originally mm-hmm. and he, all of his stuff, like so much of his stuff was composed for like his musical ministry. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Bach was mm-hmm. actually a organist his whole life and he wrote um, so much organ music that he would have played in services and um, music that uh, would have been for church um, that it would take you 18 hours to actually play through all of his organ music specifically. Wow. So um, I think your question was kind of about, you know, how much of the music is sacred music Mm -hmm. in the repertoire that we learn and a fair amount of it is because Mm -hmm. So many composers, even if they're well-known for other things, if they're orchestral composers, um, composers um, like Saint-Saëns or people that you may have heard of, Mozart, mm-hmm. they actually were also organists mm. um, in their other lives musically. So, um, was Did Beethoven ever do organ? He has a couple small pieces for the organ. It's not something he's okay. super known for. Gotcha. But, but like Bach and Mozart, I never knew that they did organ as well. Right, right. So that's that was their day job. You know, that's what they were doing. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. Full circle. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I like that organ piece. Mm-hmm. That was Bach, right? Yeah, that's the Toccata in D minor. Yeah. Isn't that Phantom of the Opera? Maybe it sounds similar. <laughs> you know, similar people, vibe. people ask that question a lot. Really? That's something you get a lot, Phantom like, of the Opera. Every, every service, you play a handful of songs, and you're like, is that all Phantom of the Opera? We're <laughs> <laughs> worshiping Andrew Lloyd Webber today. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, talking about organ music, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it was actually practical music that organists wrote because they were in organist jobs where mm. they needed music to play. So... You know, when you there's actually centuries and centuries worth of repertoire um, mm. because organs are such ancient instruments and mm. they date all the way back to the Middle Ages. Do you know when the first one was made? If you wanted to <laughs> testing be, your trivia knowledge, <laughs> okay. if you wanted to be really technical about it, the Greeks actually had an organ called the hydraulis, okay. which was water powered because Ooh. they didn't have electricity. Mm-hmm. But it you, just made bubble sound. It just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a bubble machine. Um, but they basically put pipes with it, and the water would actually power this instrument so that you could play like a whole scale mm-hmm. um, with 
that contraption. Mm -hmm. um, and all the way until the steam engine was invented, pipe organs were actually some of the most complicated machinery mm. in the Western world because you have one person um, able to completely work this machine um, pre-electricity. Right? Mm -hmm. So um, it was one of those things that would have probably been extremely expensive mm -hmm. and took a lot of craft craftsmanship to put together mm -hmm. um but could make a lot of noise right and yeah. dan you mentioned in our ep the other episode is that they were like old organs were powered by bellows right you had people like under yeah. the church like pumping air through it that was accurate right yeah, I mean... People pumping air. Totally, manually. totally. Yeah, Dan's exactly. going to redact his whole episode. <laughs> I redact my this statements. This is actually a, a fact check on your No, um, it's true. So if you were looking at an instrument in box time, it could be pretty involved. Like it could be a three or four keyboard organ mm -hmm. with full pedals and all sorts of like long draw knobs that you would pull the stops on the sides. Um, and you would probably have an assistant or a choir boy um, literally pressing these pedals in the back that would pump air into the instrument. Um, so, you know, you always had to have a couple friends on hand, even just to practice, because otherwise the instrument wouldn't yeah. make any sound without the air being pumped through it. Wow. Do do modern organs have like a compressor, like in the basement or something? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they run through. That's not water. a sacristan so. job to <laughs> pump the bellows. I, I remember like one of my old organs that I practiced on lightning struck the bell tower and went down into the the organ engine room and fried the organ completely oh so i heard like a sound come from the organ itself oh, wow. are we treating um like emergency we can, stories now. Yeah. Okay. So there was one. I mean, time... if you're cool with that, <laughs> go Max, for it. I'm not the. This may be taking our conversation off. Go for it. We got 70 minutes. Anything you got, let's hear it. So one time, maybe eight years ago, I was practicing um, in Northern Virginia at the church um, where I grew up. And it was one of these um, churches that had a wraparound balcony on the second level, mm. all sort of, you know, clear glass windows and very colonial. So this is a really old building. Right. And the organ was in the back in the balcony. Um, and it was right around the time that there was this huge earthquake in mm. Richmond. I don't know if you, either of you are around or close enough, but it was this earthquake that started out in Richmond and kind of radiated up the East coast mm -hmm. sometime in the summer. Um, maybe like 2012 or something. And I'm playing the organ, practicing something for a concert, and the entire building starts shaking, and plaster starts raining. A, a crack starts running along the ceiling. Oh, my the second God. Floor, and it's a white, you know, white plaster starts raining down from the ceiling all over. And fun fact, if you're ever caught in an earthquake – what you are not supposed to do is run out of the building into the street, um, which is what I did because I thought this is a colonial era building. Mm -hmm. Maybe like it's just collapsing and falling down. Mm -hmm. uh, what you're actually supposed to do is to find like a doorway or a sturdy piece of mm -hmm. furniture to be under. Um, but that was probably the most terrifying thing that I've ever experienced while just casually practicing <laughs> somewhere where it's like um, – Wait, why aren't you supposed to run out? Because if you go out into the street, something else larger may fall on you, like another building could collapse on you, which I suppose you wouldn't want. 
you could also think about like older buildings like battlements and stuff or like mm-hmm. in brooklyn the the like over the lips that overhang the front yeah i mean they're just kind of ham-fisted yeah. on there for a show mm-hmm. but i'm sure if you get under a keystone or like she said a doorway or something that would be like fine gotcha was the organ okay did the building explode <laughs> the building did not explode it was, it was totally restored it and it's fine now but uh that's good the colonists were like you know what definitely happens earthquakes <laughs> better designer architecture it was like the first it. earthquake in 200 years oh that wow ever happened in that area so <laughs> you know what a time to experience it did mm-hmm. you like press too many keys at once and the building that's shakes that's what i thought like, oh, like no. power clearly so so you 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 both went to music school dan you you just did your bachelor's do you have a master's i just did my bachelor's okay and then you went to janet you went to grad school as well did you focus in the organ for grad school as well for masters or was it more of a general thing i did i went up to yale and studied at the institute of sacred music which Mm. is actually an interdisciplinary program so Mm -hmm. We actually work together with um, students who are studying to become priests and mm-hmm. we're studying religion, which overlaps a lot, as you can imagine. Right, so right. My degrees up there, I did two master's degrees in organ, um, but studied a lot of sacred music and mm-hmm. conducting and a lot of sort of church sacred music related topics mm-hmm. um, and had a couple internships at the time where I was working with choirs as mm-hmm. well, which was super helpful training what i do now so when you're like in that type of environment are you coordinating the choir with the organ or are they like kind of separate and they just can keep time themselves like do they take cues from each other i don't i don't know how that works you mean organist and choir yeah like do they like play off of each other yeah or like do they are they like is there like some coming together where they have to coordinate the? i'm bad at music i'm sorry <laughs> I, don't, I don't play okay. any music um, a lot of organists are also choir directors. Really? And it does help to have mm-hmm. someone conducting the group of singers that you might be working with. So, yeah, a lot of organists end up doing both. Um, so if you're in a situation where you're by yourself, you may do a lot of head nodding from yeah. the bench where you're playing and you're accompanying mm-hmm. the choir, but they still need some cues from you. Mm-hmm. So you do some really aggressive. I know, remember my teacher nodding. introducing that to me. I was <laughs> right. like, with your eyes, you do it. You're just That's like, right. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> like, let's breathe. Go. That's right. And you master the sort of like death glare of you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Stop now. You know. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Sort of. So, so the teamwork there is yeah. just from like just the sheet music and then the organist like looking at the choir before they're about to hit a big note or yeah. something like that. Sure. I mean, the, the place where we work now is a pretty large church. And so we have a team of mm-hmm. three musicians who will do a combination of one of us is accompanying. The other is actually fully conducting mm-hmm. and directing. Um, or if we have orchestra or if we have other musicians in, then we need someone definitely in front conducting mm-hmm. and keeping us all together. and. Gotcha. Um, so when when a lot of these pieces were composed, you're talking about like Mozart and Bach and stuff. Were they were these organ pieces composed intended to be alongside a choir, or were they just kind of like composed independently of that? Oh, um, I suppose both. There's repertoire that's totally meant to be solo, kind mm-hmm. of prelude, postlude, kind of 
pre and post church music that's mm-hmm. instrumental or improvised. Um, but there are also lots of pieces that are um, choirs being accompanied by the organ. So if you think like Westminster Abbey, St. Paul's Cathedral, kind of in that English church tradition, mm-hmm. it really has a lot of music where you have a full-time organist who is playing a lot of notes and accompanying a professional choir or mm-hmm. professional choristers um, for pretty large occasions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. How how easy was it? So you mentioned like you learned to conduct like a choir. How easy was it to translate your skills from all the like the organ, violin, piano, all the instruments you played to conducting a choir, being like a vocal thing rather than an instrumental thing? Conducting, I think, is a lot more involved than you might imagine. Kind okay. of in the same way that I think yeah. improvising is a lot more yeah. difficult than you think. It's especially if you ever watch jazz improvisers, Mm -hmm. they are not totally making it up on the spot. It Mm -hmm. actually takes a lot of practice and a lot of training and a lot of knowing the chords and where you're going and when you're headed. And conducting is a lot like that. You know, you're in front of a group of people who presumably all have different ideas in their head of of what the music could be. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do have to practice in front of the mirror and you kind of have to know what you're doing with your beat pattern and Mm -hmm. and how you're going to train them and you have to have um training about how they can sing healthily and how they can breathe Mm -hmm. and um markings and rhythms and tempo so there's actually a lot that you do have to train to do to be an effective Mm -hmm. conductor on the other hand it is also one of those things where you are waving your arms but they will do what they want to do. So <laughs> it's a little bit out of your control mm-hmm. um, how it goes. So I think that's the fun dynamic. Mm. Um, like playing an instrument is like managing yourself and directing is like managing other people. It's like sure. you get that extra sure. challenge in there. Yeah. Have you ever conducted, Dan? Do you ever yeah, do stuff like that? Yeah, I used to be the choir director of like my old parish and I fell into it kind of. I like... Uh, I like took a class or two on conducting and choral techniques, which definitely helped. But mm-hmm. I learned way more doing the job. Yeah, like yeah. Wh- like the choir would tell me their needs. Like I can't do this. Can you help with that? Can we can we work on this? And I would have to just like try and figure out ways to help them sing. You know, while at the same time, like uh, you know, just trying to play the music mm-hmm. while while conducting all of them <laughs> and remembering I, uh and then the mu- it actually gets easier to play the music mm-hmm. once like it's it feels like second nature after you're like focusing on all the people mm-hmm. too um but yeah i i directed choirs okay question about that so playing music while you're conducting a choir is the music that accompanies a choir is that simpler music than the standalone like like organ pieces without a choir? Depends. Is yeah, it, is not it just kind of okay? Because I, I feel like if I was Bach, I'd be like, "All right, like I gotta look at these people. I'm gonna make this one a little bit easier." If you were Bach, <laughs> if I was Bach, could you <laughs> imagine? Right, right. You said he had 18 hours of. of uh, if I was Bach. Organ this music. is what I would do. Music, right? That's just the solo. Yeah, Bach's job was to when he worked in Leipzig in the. Um, in um, the sort of later part of his mm-hmm. career, he actually had to write a cantata every single week, which mm-hmm. is like a 40-minute piece for okay. orchestra, choir, soloists. Mm-hmm. Because when you went to a Lutheran church back in the day at St. Thomas Kirka, for example, where he worked, 
church was three hours long or four mm-hmm. hours long. Um, so you would regularly sort of experience all this orchestra music and he was composing that every week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was like an all day thing. Mm-hmm. Church. Like preaching too would take a long time, right? Yeah, like sixteen verses of hymns, you know. So <laughs> And then there was the daily songs. services during the week. Then Sunday was like the big one. Well, and it's funny, specifically when we think about Bach, we kind of put him on this pedestal. But he actually has all these great collections of letters that he wrote mm-hmm. where he complained a lot about how difficult <laughs> the job was on you know, yeah. on the daily. And sometimes it was that if a bunch of the kids at the choir school who were his sopranos were sick or they didn't have the right number of people, he'd have to totally rework something he had composed to kind of fit. Mm-hmm. So he was still writing for real life, you know. Yeah. Um, kind of talking about that flexibility mm-hmm. and kind of what we were It's mentally with taxing, too. Yeah. yeah. And he would get in fights with me. There's a story where he got in to a fight with a bassoonist that he was working with and i heard so, about that yeah yeah so he was he was a real person too which is something we forget sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like that w- that's like so much to make every week and to perform and coordinate like i'm not gonna brag i got more than 100 hours of this podcast but <laughs> it's <laughs> this is easy i just bring someone in i have like one or two people i talk to them i ask some questions i can't imagine Every week being like, all right, you got to come up with something three hours long that works with the choir and you got to also play along. So. Right. But there's nothing like, like a deadline. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't even recognized for that work that he did until way like Mendelssohn. Right. In the 1800s. Yeah. He sort of came back to popularity. But during his especially towards the end of his career, his style was kind of going out of fashion. Um, it was more going towards like a classical direction out of a Baroque. Hmm. era um, when was bach around what years 1685 to 1750 okay we can fact check that too but that's one that's i'm right. pretty sure is correct okay was mozart around at like roughly the same time yes i want to say that mozart was born in 1756 and if i'm wrong they'll take back my music degree google but. will know it's crazy that you just answered like the years for bach right away it's like i actually had to memorize his years in college really like, it was on a test when was bach born and died mm. for sure because so. he was like such a huge influence mm-hmm. on western music that, like, right we needed to know like parts of it we needed to know like beethoven like the eras of beethoven's life there's like mm-hmm. three i don't remember them at all but i just remember there were three eras it's usually early middle and late yeah (laughs) but like what defined the eras the years they were you know like bach had like years he was in leipzig Mm -hmm. and years in what's it called kerta um kurten arnstadt uh weimar yeah the weimar years like certain eras of their life that he lived in and worked in wow I, we have so much nerdy information. This is great. This you is, don't even know what you've gotten into. This is amazing. This is like what I want. Because it's like, as someone who, okay, I do not listen to classical music. I just don't. But I am a big metalhead. And mm. I've read I've read mm. a lot of articles that say that metalhead, metal fans, I'm not going to say metalheads. It sounds like a little <laughs> bit more intense. But like fans of metal music and fans of classical music tend to have similar brains because they're mm. both very musically complex introspective styles of music so it's interesting because i'm like oh yeah like cannibal corpse started in the late 80s and you know they got corpse grinder in the 90s and then everything changed but like i've never 
like classical music for me was always something in school where it'd be music class and like, yeah, these are the guys, <laughs> Beethoven, Mozart, Bach. And those are the three. And you're like, all right, cool. And, just, and you never really touch on it. You hear like Beethoven's fifth. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. I know what that is, but you never, mm-hmm. I, I don't think most people know the depth to which we study their lives apparently. And like reference sure. the eras of their work and like why sure. they wrote things and how they created things. That's, fascinating if you have any other facts you can just interrupt me at any moment <laughs> to throw something in but so you you mentioned so it was bach and then mozart came after did Mo- mozart kind of pick up f- from where bach left off like did he was he influenced by him at all they were in pretty different circles mm-hmm. i would say um mozart spent a lot of time in austria and salzburg and bach actually didn't travel all that much mm-hmm. um he stayed in the cities where he was working um, in these positions, but he didn't um, leave Germany, right? He didn't leave Germany. And Mozart was a young prodigy whose dad sort of traveled mm. with him all over to different royal courts and he performed. And if you've ever seen the movie Amadeus, I haven't. That's probably not should, super but... far from what happened. There's a really great scene in that movie where he's playing the piano um, backwards and upside down. Um, <laughs> The keys stay in the same place. It's true. true. (laughs) Stayed where he was wanted. Dude, I could podcast upside down backwards all day. No problem. Blood might get in my head, but. (laughs) But yeah, and sort of if we go from there, um, so there are all these kind of German, even pre-Bach, there are all these German Mm -hmm. composers. And um, going from there, the next kind of major era that people talk about is sort of the French symphonic era. So. If you're traveling through Paris and you go to Notre Dame, they have a really fantastic French-style instrument, which is already something that is, um, you know, 200 years after Bach lived. Okay. So we look at sort of German Baroque music as being really contrapuntal and what what that means. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Which is, like, totally an advanced kind of specific music word. But what that means is, like, the music um, has certain forms and it has certain structure. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if you sang, like, row, row, row your boat. Right. And the three of us did that as, like, a round Mm -hmm. or a canon, right? That's, like, a really simple form. But you've got to write the music in a way that it locks in, like, a puzzle. Mm -hmm. So the more complicated form of that would be a fugue i loved playing fugues. yeah so a fugue so is like a fun. really complicated baroque puzzle that all these german composers including bach kind of brought to as complicated as they could go because you're playing with your hands and your feet all mm. these different moving parts at once mm-hmm. um but then when you get to sort of the later part of the 1800s early 1900s in france they are playing organ symphonies mm-hmm. and the kinds of colors that you have in the instruments really change they have you know, um, lots of string sounds, lots of pipes that actually sound like violins, violas, pipes that sound like um, oboes and trombones and bassoons. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of take organ music in a different direction and you get a lot more kind of, um, you'd go to the World's Fair in France and you'd actually hear an organist perform something in front of 3,000 people Mm -hmm. because what other single instrument can you hear at a carnival or at a fair that mm. can kind of naturally broadcast itself. Um, so the organ sort of becomes this this really popular instrument where people are traveling all over the world to hear these virtuoso performers in churches. But also, um, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, there is um, a department store there 
um, where they have a gigantic organ. You can still hear it. They do recitals there mm-hmm. almost every day. Um, and organs were not only in church, but also kind of these big kind of concert hall mm. instruments all of a sudden. So there's, there's sort of a expansion of, of what the instrument could be. So, okay. So in a nutshell, this French Baroque style converts from just French symphonic, French so symphonic, German Baroque kind of German Bach Baroque. era. And then we go with sort of the next kind of big era is, is French. Symphonic. Okay. Yeah. And they kind of take it from being like, this is an organ piece made of organy sounds to this is an organ piece that has more of a variety of sounds. That is basically an orchestra. Okay. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Cause like, you got so many pipes. If you want a different sound, you just make a tinier pipe. That's <laughs> it's just physics. So sure, sure. And then, like, if you think about kind of the early 1900s mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, there are also theater organs, and that's kind of a yeah. whole another really cool area. And where... that's where we get Phantom of the Opera. That's where you right. get Phantom. Of... That's literally where that comes <laughs> nice. from. Nice, got yeah. one right. All sorts of um, black and white movies, uh, silent movies, mm-hmm. that you would hear a real organist accompany like an hour okay. and a half. Oh, okay. Okay. So I always thought silent film, I always thought they just had like, P, like that was mostly like piano stuff. There's piano but too. It would yeah. be. Is it a mix? Yeah, okay. There's, there was people who like, uh, they would play music. Very few people do this still, but there are some, they play music to movies. Like the movie will be going on and they'll play music mm-hmm. and make it up depending on the mood of the movie. Hmm. Uh, really fun fact. Tina Fey's husband did that for oh, years no he accompanied he would improvise piano music to silent movies that's whoa cool. that's that's like a really interesting hobby yeah. that was his job that was his job <laughs> oh my god he'd probably have to travel far and wide to do that mm-hmm. too since right. like just his no hometown mm-hmm. like has like full but like that right okay what an experience though okay imagine this you watch the three Lord of the Rings movies back to back. No sound except the guy playing <laughs> the organ in the back. It'd be intense. For sure. For I sure. would definitely go see that. Have you? Okay. There's another. I, I think this is a type of organ, but it's kind of like a freak organ. But they use it. It's like a. It looks like an organ, but they used it to generate all the cartoon sounds in the 40s and 50s. It has like all sorts of levers and switches and cranks. Oh, yeah. But it's like the same thing. Yeah. Do you know what that's called? It just theater organ. It, that's, um, okay. They're designed, they're, they're, they are pipe organs, and mm-hmm. they were usually, they did have pipe organs, but they had a lot more sound effects. So that's exactly right. what we're talking about. Okay. So um, movie theaters would have these really mm. elaborate instruments installed, um, and I've seen and played a few that have everything from like duck call sounds to train whistles to all sorts of effects and in one of my improvisation classes when i was in grad school our final project was to Mm -hmm. actually accompany a silent movie Mm -hmm. and what's (laughs) that's cool yeah what's really fun is that you can go back to um these music books that the big kind of 20s and 30s film studios in hollywood Mm -hmm. would actually publish so they'd say, okay, we've got this specific cartoon or this specific movie that we're putting out, and here's a book of all the themes. So mm-hmm. when you see this um, main character pop up, you play this theme, but then you can elaborate on it however you'd like. And then when you see you know, a sound of like a car horn coming, you play this combination of notes to make it sound like there's traffic and there's all sorts of sound effects. Wow. So yeah, that's a real art. What uh, movie did you do that to? I had, I think it was this Disney cartoon, actually, 
um, something with all these skeletons that are dancing in a graveyard. Not to sort of continue okay. this idea that organists only play Phantom of the Opera and yeah, yeah. things like that. <laughs> I think I remember that um, cartoon, though. Yeah, yeah I know what you're history. talking about. Right, the yeah. one where it's like they're dancing and mm-hmm. like you can play all sorts of kind of dance macabre themes. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so. so something else I'm wondering about. So like, like all these organs, especially like the larger ones, are kind of like unique, right? Depending on like where they're built and what year they're built and in what place. Is there like... Is there, like, a highlight reel of, like, the greatest organs to play on around the world? That's for you. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, so, yes, every single organ is different. Every instrument Mm -hmm. is totally built from scratch in the room. And I don't don't know if you mentioned this the last time you talked, Dan, but when you sit down at an instrument, it has at least one keyboard and one Mm -hmm. pedal board, right? So um, most organs have 60 keys, which is actually mm. shorter than a grand piano that has 88 keys, but it has 60 keys. And every stop that you pull out usually represents at least one pipe for every single key. So every stop represents at least 60 pipes. Okay. And a stop is the pedal? No, a stop is actually that button that you pull oh, out Okay. Um, that you see like the little kind of circle cir- they look like like drawer dots. handles the, the, like the draw yeah, knobs yeah. that you pull out and it could be that when you pull this one it signals a row of flute pipes or it signals a row of um string pipes or trumpet pipes mm-hmm. did you want to pipe in yeah and they have like names on them too like and i didn't like it looked like like all it was all these different languages too it was german mm-hmm. and french and italian all over all the stops. Um, and then the red ones. There were, On my organ, there were red stops. Those were all mm-hmm. the reeds. Because mm-hmm. reeds are like like trumpets and trombones. Mm-hmm. And so they're very loud and crass. Mm-hmm. So I always thought the red meant, like, be careful when you use this one. <laughs> it might not be pleasant. Not for communion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you know stuff. Yeah, I know a totally, little bit. Totally. Well, I think your original question, though, was about kind of the larger instruments you might come across. So yeah. you could play an instrument that has five or six keyboards, mm-hmm. right? And each of those um, represents a different division of, of stops, a different group of stops. And mm-hmm. so you can imagine that if you had, for example, 10 stops, which is a really small organ, that would be already what six hundred pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these instruments have, you know, eighty stops or a hundred stops mm-hmm. or even more than that. Oh wow! So massive for every organ that you might see when you walk into a church and you see a row of pipes. Usually, we call that the facade. That's just the front. Um, there's usually a huge room or several rooms behind that that actually house all of these pipes. Wow. I told you about yeah. that last time too, right? The pipe mm-hmm. room. Yeah, yeah. You told me about the pipe room. I remember that. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they it... all have to be tuned by hand individually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I came across a documentary like years and years and years ago about some guy. It was like a YouTube thing about some guy who cleans the pipes. And he's like, it would probably take me like a hundred years to clean like one of these things. And I, I because mm-hmm. of the facade, you don't realize how big this is. Right. Because it's, at a certain point, it's just part of the architecture of the building. Like you yeah. can't, you can't move one of these organs cheaply <laughs> by any means, right? So, is there like, is there, are there like the, is there like any organs that are like the most famous organs? Like, 
like any Wanamaker, right? Yeah. So the Wanamaker, which is that that department store in Philadelphia, is okay. is a huge concert instrument mm-hmm. um, in the U.S. And um, some of the bigger instruments in the United States. Let's see, National Cathedral has a pretty large um, pipe organ. Um, Grace Cathedral out in San Francisco. Um, if we're talking about Europe, of course. Notre Dame is a place where a lot of people have walked through and they have an organ back in their huge balcony, which Mm -hmm. was damaged in that huge fire a few years Mm -hmm. ago, but they are planning on restoring it. Mm -hmm. They were really lucky because the fire kind of stopped right before it burned to the back. So they were actually able to see a lot of it. Um, How old is is an organ like that in those European cathedrals? Are they just like when they build the church, they build the organ? But... A lot, specifically in Paris, a lot okay. of the instruments are post-French um, Revolution. Okay. Because actually, um, I did a research project on this in school. Um, I'm just making you recount all of your I college literally education. just trying to go through yeah. everything. Um, <laughs> a lot of the pipes were actually melted down in the French Revolution. To make bullets or to weapons? To make all sorts of things, yeah. Mm. So they would have been lead pipes or they would have been metal or steel, and so they actually melted them down. Um, they actually, you know, sometimes used churches and cathedrals, sort of reused them as spaces for different celebrations or mm-hmm. as storage facilities for some time mm-hmm. during during the wars. Um, so a lot of the French instruments are post that, mm-hmm. um, sort of late 1800s, early 1900s. Is there like an, years. do you, do you happen to know if there's like an oldest existing organ right now? Like what that one might be? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Janet question. I keep looking at yeah. both of you and Janet <laughs> keeps shrugging. <laughs> I'm like, no, her. her. <laughs> well, so, so here's the fun thing. Um, we're in New York, right? So if right. you went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, mm-hmm. there is a second floor gallery. So, so on the first floor, if you walk in, there's a room that's full of um, suits of armor. Right. And there's, there are knights on horses. Mm-hmm. If you are standing in that room and you look up into the balcony, there's actually a little organ there. It's mm-hmm. a three-manual really? Appleton organ uh, built by a Boston company from, say, the eighteen mid-1800s. Um, it's an instrument I've gotten to play before, something mm-hmm. that you can have someone hand pump. You got to play that? I did. It was oh, super cool. The security man, guard. So cool. You know, we were we were we got to go in, go past the little rope uh-huh. in the museum and play the instrument. Is and this the security part of being guard. Wait, um it was actually even earlier than that. I was up here for a, a summer program. Oh my god. Whoa. And the security guard looked so lost because his entire job is to stand there and tell people not to touch yeah. Yeah. the things in the artwork in the music room. <laughs> I was like, this has never happened before. This is not <laughs> right, protocol. Right. <laughs> right, right. But if you then go through the double doors and that second floor, there are rooms full of historical musical instruments. So mm. there are all sorts of beautiful old pianos. There's a Cristofori piano in there, which is like the earliest kind of grand piano. There are harpsichords. There are lots of violins and string instruments and brass instruments that are hanging on the wall. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that is that the pianos are all mostly all playable. Uh, the organ is playable, even though it's from the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, the string instruments are also often played in special concerts. Like they'll have people take them off the wall and literally perform chamber music. So much pressure. But a lot of the brass instruments, so if mm. it's like a French horn or a trumpet, mm. um, if they're not used regularly after a certain point, 
they're not necessarily as playable. Right, they're like, they like oxidize. Totally. So for the organ, it's actually an instrument that gets better with age. Really? Um, The more that you're using it, the more that the mechanical parts of it are moving. Mm -hmm. Um, It can stay as long as it's, you know, being tuned regularly and being taken care of. and Like a fine wine. Exactly. (laughs) They age like a fine wine. Wow. That's crazy. So I'm guessing in Europe, there there has to be like some organ out there that was built in like the 1500s or something, right? In some cathedral somewhere. Okay. So I will tell you a story about yes. um, when yes. I went on a trip to Spain to, I was on a, a study trip at grad school and we went to the Museum of Musical Instruments in Barcelona, mm-hmm. which is right by their music, music school. Okay. And we were really lucky because we got a tour of this whole room of um, harpsichords, pianos, and organs. And I had done a project before we left on this trip about these very specific organs from the 1400s that were actually essentially medieval boomboxes. Okay. So they would have all these parades through the street. We were actually talking about parades in Brooklyn earlier. (laughs) Um, They would have these uh, festivals Mm -hmm. and church parades. And what they would do is they would take this little tiny box organ that was maybe you know one row of of keys to play with a couple stops but sort of tuned as loudly as possible Mm -hmm. then they would have the organist sit there and they would have four people kind of like carry them through the streets Mm -hmm. so that they could play um outdoors and Mm -hmm. they would have somebody you know pumping and so I had done this project about this, and when we went there, they actually let us play the instruments. Whoa. And they were from, like, the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. They they were still playable. Did you have to, like, wear special gloves or do, like, clean room stuff or, like, any special protocols for handling an instrument that old? You know, that's a good question. We probably should have. But they were... no one had ever done it before. But but we were were with a curator, and those instruments are meant to be played. Mm -hmm. They're still totally functional. And it was very... That was like a a peak nerd moment for me. I actually... So that parade thing you described, Mm -hmm. I did that in my first job at at a Methodist church. It was Uh a pump organ. Okay. um, Which that's like... There's pedals at your feet. It didn't have um, it didn't have a keyboard at my feet. It had these two pedals where I would press them kind of like the accelerator of a car. I would press them back and forth to get air moving through it mm-hmm. like the old organs. Mm-hmm. And um, I like had stops and I would like uh, and that's how I would play. Now, typically we had a generator so I could just pump electricity into it. Mm-hmm. But then one year we put it on the float stand for this. Ten- it was a very small backwoods Vermont <laughs> town mm-hmm. um and on the fourth of july we had a parade where we put the organ on a float Ooh. and i wow. played um like american songs like um uh, like america the beautiful and uh three cheers for the red white and blue mm-hmm. and um they paraded through the town. I actually, and like, I got mm-hmm. to sit on like a stool and wear like an Uncle Sam hat. It was. <laughs> that was my next question is that did, was there an accompanying costume? Yes, with this 100%. And <laughs> it was just fun to do, you know? Mm-hmm. It was. It was just like, a, and then like one year we actually had to use the pumps because the electric, again, going back to like incidents, like <laughs> one Christmas Eve, they turned off the power and, um, to the whole church because we play Silent Night. 
mm-hmm. and you have to turn out all the lights for that mm-hmm. and put candles. But they turned out all of the power, oh, no. <laughs> including to the organ. Oh, no. So thank God there were those pumps, because if there weren't, I wouldn't have been able to play. So I just kept going. And wow. No one even noticed the difference. That's how good I was at my job. <laughs> Clearly. So when you're manually pumping like that, do you like, are you pumping in air as you depress a key? No, or... I just, I keep a steady stream going. So I keep my feet going at a steady pace. Yeah. And then I just play the music as is. Okay. So so that that you're not directly pushing the air in right there. Like it like builds up pressure somewhere else and releases it. I don't I actually don't know it's my the engineering full brain. This was <laughs> this was really interesting. The town, that town, I went into some of the congregants' homes, mm-hmm. and in, into some of the congregants' homes, they had pump organs in their houses, and it was because a, a pump organ salesperson went through the town and sold a bunch of them, <laughs> like fifty years ago. It was part of this company called the SD Company. It was hmm. like a pump organ company. You know of it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, out in Brattleboro, Vermont. Mm-hmm. And this guy came into town and he sold pump organs to everybody in the town, including this Methodist church. Because everybody needed one. Yeah. It's like such an American thing. <laughs> <laughs> because because like you you don't have to have a like you you don't need electricity for it. Mm-hmm. You can pump air into it on its own. Yeah. And it's like it's small enough. It's like this little keyboard. It's not a giant piano mm-hmm. that um, I don't know. Maybe like it wouldn't go out of tune as easily mm-hmm. as a piano would. And it was like it was portable. And it's like the size of this table. OK. You know, it wasn't like a giant array mm-hmm. of something. It was all standing on its own. Wow. That's that's so funny to me. This guy really went through a town and was yeah. like, are you guys sick of going to church to get your fill of organs? <laughs> what if we could bring the organ to you? Exactly. Exactly. Introducing the SD pump organ for all your needs. That's oh, my gosh. But that's crazy. Like when you're you're talking about the old instruments as well. Like, I can't believe you're allowed to touch those things or just play them, you know, like. Even yeah. going beyond the velvet rope in the Met, I'm like. Yeah. That's federal prison that was, time, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Have you, okay, uh, well, so Dan, have you played, have you had any organs that have been your favorite to play on yet? Um, or a least favorite? Uh, I won't say, I won't say least favorite because like, I, like all the organs I got to like get to know and practice on for mm-hmm. such a long time, I kind of do, they, uh, it became like, um, I don't know, like a, a comfort thing yeah. almost to play on. And mm-hmm. I had so many good memories with all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing. Like, I like I don't miss like organ as much as I thought I would when I stopped playing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm just realizing I don't think you've ever seen me play the organ. I don't think so. And I see you four times a week. I know. Play it. I have to fix that. <laughs> I can show you a video later. I just found that one I sent you mm-hmm. originally. And I was playing a fugue there. Actually, it was uh, nice, nice. Fugue and B minor by mm-hmm. I can't remember the BWV. Um, but I guess like my favorite. Uh, I got to play this uh, this one in um, Albany that was uh, it was just at the church I was at and it had like all these little cool like digital things. It was a hybrid organ, so it was half mm-hmm. digital sounds half air sounds Mm -hmm. going through it and it had like all these cool little buttons like a hallelujah button that (laughs) 
to- toilet flush. <laughs> shock jock noises. I've a cough seen sound. Those, <laughs> cough button. <laughs> it had like a certain amends you could do. It had mm-hmm. a bell tower sound, so I could um hit it for for a bell or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It had this thing called a timbrel too, which is like um have you heard of those timbrels? The Is it sort of the bells? Yeah, sound? it's like it's like this these bells in a ball and it like when you press the button it the bell it kind of like these like wacky sounds you're talking about. It like mm-hmm. it starts shaking the bells. Hmm. So it would have like um like a jingle bell sound that I would mm. play when I improvise. You Whoa. know? Interesting. Sometimes if I if the improvisation called for it. Like sometimes I would use it in a hymn like this is the feast of victory. Right. Or if you're doing like angels we have heard on high. Yeah, like, to like give it that that yeah. aesthetic of the bells yeah. Yeah. going on. Cool. So like a high that's interesting. Cause I'm just imagining like from what you've told me about, especially the French style organ, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so the organ is like the OG, like synthesizer almost, like because you're combining and mixing these sounds mm-hmm. and pipes and the pedals and stuff, and then also to add the digital element to it, where it's like even more. <laughs> the digital is kind of convenient mm-hmm. too, because like then you don't have to tune like. Am I wrong about this? You don't have to tune like actual pipes for digital. Yeah, it's so, just a so if, you, sound. if you think about kind of. Uh, you know, a keyboard versus a piano. Mm-hmm. That's the relationship. So yeah. it's recorded sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then like you don't like have to do as much work on the pipes mm. and stuff if it's just a digit and you can get a different kind of sound too. So quick question. Does the organist like at a church or somewhere like if you're the regular organist, are you doing the tuning or does someone else like assist you with that? Have you tuned I an did organ? not tune an organ. Janet That was you- a whole different skill. <laughs> it is a really specialized skill, so we in every place that I've worked, we've mm-hmm. had um, special people who have training in that come in and actually work on the instruments. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I know the basics of how it works, but you really have to have expertise in knowing what you're mm-hmm. doing. Gotcha. Yeah. And then uh, same question I had for Dan. Do you have a favorite organ you've played on? Was it one of the ones you talked about or is it a different one? I feel like this question is like picking your favorite child. So I will not answer <laughs> it. So similar to Dan, you kind of build a relationship with it, enjoy it in its well, own and it's, way. It's, I think that's one of the cool things about being an organist is that when you travel and when you perform or when you go to different churches, each instrument is totally different. So even if you're playing the same piece of music and sometimes the composer will suggest what mm-hmm. stops to pull, what sounds to do, but Really, every place that you go, you're reimagining the piece, um, mm-hmm. depending on the room you're in and the acoustic, if it's really echoey or if it's um, in a museum, you know. So um, I would say that it's different from being a concert pianist, where mm-hmm. you hope that wherever you go, there are 88 keys and that they're in the same spot <laughs> and the piano is in tune, right? So this is just a totally different kind of experience. So you get to really enjoy like the uniqueness of every individual setup and every machine, basically. Right, and you have to be flexible mm-hmm. as well. It's kind of exciting. Get some variety. So I always thought, like you know, like it's. I feel like it's one of those instruments that's probably the most unique in its construction. Like I, I don't imagine there are many other instruments that they have to build a building around. It's a mad idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, totally. and at the same time, like we're always tucked away in odd places as well. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in a balcony, or you're sort of in in the front of a church where people can't always see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a performance, whether it's something on stage or whether it's music or whether it's stand up, I think a lot of it is visual, Yeah. yeah. but for the organ, so much of it is just listening. 
Mm-hmm. And so it is really cool to get to kind of explain to people how it works because it is so complicated, mm-hmm. um, but so unique at the same time. Do you, I, yeah. I'm sorry. Go what? for it, Dan. Um, I was I was remembering uh, I had my teacher. He worked at this Episcopal church in Indiana called uh, St. John's and the organ. So there was the altar and there was this wall behind it. And behind that wall was the organ. Hmm. And the choir was back there. So you couldn't see the musicians at all. It was only heard. And it was like this old, like, theological way of thinking. Music is supposed to be heard and not seen at all. Because seeing Whoa. can... I mean, I kind of get it from the aspect of the theology. In church, you're supposed to be focusing on what's going on on the altar mm-hmm. and the cross. Right. That's the whole point of it. Like seeing the musicians, it's beautiful, but like it distracts from that area, Mm -hmm. you know, and he the thing is he had to listen for everything going on on the other side of the wall. Mm -hmm. He couldn't Mm -hmm. see anything. And so like he'd listen for the like the click of the cup touching the table Mm -hmm. to start playing something. And then one year he demanded them to put a television in. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you could see I mean, everything I worked going in church on. once where the organ was literally built behind a pillar, and so you couldn't see anything. You had to watch a little TV screen mm-hmm. and follow the conductor, just trusting that they're hopefully doing what you're seeing <laughs> yeah. on the other side of of the room. Yeah, maybe the church just figured out they're like, you know, these organ players kind of ugly. Hide them. <laughs> just, just put the back away. Yeah, clearly. Put these nerds in the corner <laughs> where they belong. <laughs> Well, I know what you were, you were saying, Dan. I know that in a lot of like cathedrals, the choir is like above the general audience on the next floor, but in the back for that reason is that they would like hide them from view, basically. But or is they that accurate? I, I, I've, I think that's, I I think that's, that's so. part of it, and the other part is also acoustics, mm. um, because there was no amplification True. with microphones. Mm. There was no fancy setup back then. Mm-hmm. So if you put the people in a gallery in the back and they sing their voices actually soar over the barrel of the ceiling right in these old gothic cathedrals and fill the space with sound mm-hmm. um and so that that was probably also a huge part of placement mm-hmm. um interesting yeah you know okay what's the thing called that's like the big iron gate that they have they have one in the Met in that same area you were it's talking about. It's called a root screen. Okay. Oh, often. yeah. What was that for? That's like a big, that's like a part of the that's thing, a, that's right? That's actually probably pretty similar to what Dan was describing earlier, which is in some churches you have this screen that would um, separate the altar, which is at the very front where mm-hmm. all of the sacred parts of the services would be going on from the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of different church traditions um between the catholic church and the episcopal church and anglican church and presbyterian and all these very right, right. very different traditions so they all it's it's hard to kind of make one statement that covers all of this right right but certainly in the catholic tradition um if you're talking about sort of old european cathedrals mm. that was um kind of a liturgical sacred piece of furniture from mm. what i understand it was the rude screen divided heaven from earth I think like it was to like keep a mystery behind mm. the root screen, which a lot of people don't like yeah. that idea that you're keeping your, the people separate from you're making it this mysterious thing. Mm-hmm. And also like uh, my mom remembers when church was this very impersonal thing. Yeah. When she was like a kid, she, she was, she grew up Catholic in Ireland where a priest mm-hmm. faced the wall mm-hmm. 
And instead of looking to the people, they'd face the wall. Mm-hmm. And like mass would kind of just be done. And the people were there to just kind of watch it happen in a way. Interesting. And it was more like it was more something like done on your behalf than something you did with the priest in a way. Whoa. So he's like, I'm starting at this time. I'm going to do this thing. Just sit down well, this, and follow along. This goes all the way back to the Reformation. So we're talking kind of 1500s. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. why so many different kinds of denominations exist outside of the Catholic Church. Right. Because at that point, Martin Luther um, came up with these theological um, arguments of why that wasn't um, what he would sort of espouse and what he wanted to have the experience of church to be. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and so it's it's sort of a centuries-old kind of split on on thinking about how you relate to being in church and how you relate to God. Is there somebody who is mediating in between you? Is it the priest? Mm-hmm. Is it that you pray to certain saints or Mary that kind of are mediating? This is getting into a very deep conversation here it does, so we can, yeah. we can certainly pause it now <laughs> but um but yeah so it's, it's a super interesting thing and people all grew up with different traditions that's the rude screen though that's it yeah. you asked the but question you, uh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you went down that road i don't know if you've heard about this since you guys are both nerds about this stuff but i remember i learned about this group called the lollards you ever heard about hear about these people they were basically like reformist pre-Martin Luther, like at the end of the 1300s in what is the Czech Republic now. They were Czech. And they were like a group that basically had complaints with the Catholic Church that were, they're all the exact same things that they have problems with today. It's just like, they're like, okay, praying to saints, that's borderline idol worship. All these rituals, mm-hmm. like none of those are in the Bible. So it's kind of subtracting away from, it's becoming this weird experience where you're separating people from it. And then they also were like, because you don't allow priests to marry, the priests do bad things. So they had like this huge list, and a lot of them were like also things that Martin Luther tried to address, and then mm-hmm. things that should probably still be addressed today. And I thought that was really interesting because it was just like this weird sect of guys who like fought a bunch of tiny battles and then lost. <laughs> they had ideas though. So uh, usually I ask like, so we're down to our last kind of like twenty-ish minutes here. Do you okay. have? If you can think of anything, any organ facts you want to just blurt out there that you haven't had a chance to share, you are welcome to. Otherwise, I'm going to ask you, what do you love about the organ? You want to take that, Dan? I, <laughs> um, I loved playing a hymn with the congregation. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite thing to do. Was like, like performing and being in it. Yeah, and like you don't even call it performing right. when you do it. You're offering. You're like you're you're making music with these people. Hmm. You know. Because they're, like, doing it just as much. I mean, I, I wouldn't say maybe not just as much as you. Because <laughs> you are <laughs> leading all of them <laughs> in song. But um, it was the most nerve-wracking thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because you're accompanying all of them. and that, But then once I got it down, like, it was the most beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. To hear this 100 people who never sing. Too. Mm-hmm. They don't. This is the only place they ever sing. Mm-hmm. Them singing back to you and hearing, and they all think they don't sound good. Mm-hmm. All of them, like 
they would come up to me like, you don't want me in the choir. And I'd be, it was a volunteer choir. I was like, of course mm-hmm. I want your voice in the choir. <laughs> what are you talking about? But yeah. they just didn't want to do be in the choir. They mm-hmm. wanted to sing out there. Yeah. And to mm-hmm. hear all of that one voice coming back at you is so, and the, like the fact that you're like leading all of it, helping all of them accompany it is just like this uplifting feeling. It's like mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. sounds I've ever heard. Mm. That translates directly to you being a stand-up comedian. (laughs) (laughs) Replace music with laughter, you're all good. Yeah. And then they only have you to thank. They're like, nice job, Dan. You're like, thank you. Thanks so much. It's all about balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I agree. I think it's um, the collaborative aspect of this particular profession Mm -hmm. is what I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. It's that you're working with singers and you're working with other musicians and Um, I do also really enjoy being a soloist. I travel and perform concerts all over the country. But I think the cool thing about working in sacred music is that you are hopefully a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And it is also something that once you do it, even if you've practiced this piece for a month with your singers, it only happens once. So there's something really precious about that is sort of you, you know, spend all this time preparing, but it is very much in the moment. It's very much about being flexible and improvisatory and doing something uh, greater than yourself. So Mm. I think that is one of the cool aspects of sacred music. It's whether you are somebody who goes to church regularly or not. um, If you, wander into a church um hopefully there's something special about that that's different than going to a concert hall or going Mm -hmm. to a performance that you take away um something whatever it means to you Mm -hmm. no that's great dan like me and dan were talking about last week because like Mm -hmm. i kind of want to go back to a catholic church just for a sermon because i haven't been in like Mm. like 15 years maybe 12 years or something mm-hmm. why are you whispering just because it's like into the I feel microphone i feel ashamed i'm sorry like 15 years <laughs> i'm sorry jesus mary holy spirit all all of them but it's like i think i was like it would be kind of cool to go back and especially like you know go to saint is it patrick's the yeah. patrick's cathedral yeah i thought I, I was like maybe i'll go back there and just go for like a service like even if like it'd be cool to go to like a latin one because at this point i'm kind of like my ideology is like away from that, but like there's a certain vibe. Like I love the the grandness of it all. Right. And especially in New York City, going into some of these cathedrals, they are the largest spaces that you might walk into, right? Like <laughs> St. Like, John the I Divine. Like St. John yeah. the Divine is like one of the largest cathedrals in the country, but it's like going into the Oculus if you've ever been yeah, in yeah, yeah, downtown. Yeah. It's like yeah. sometimes you realize in New York, like, oh, there's something really different about the architecture that makes mm-hmm. you feel like you're in a totally different mind space. Where is St. John the Divine? Where's that one at? Upper West Side? It's the Upper right? West Side, um, kind of near Columbia. Okay. Yeah. If it's bigger, I'll go to that one. <laughs> <I wanna> they <laughs> brought, I think they brought an elephant in there once, right? They for do for their... The um, Feast of St. Francis. St. Francis, a blessing of the animals. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. They brought an elephant in the build, they, they, it's enormous. What do they need an element for? Elephant for? Like 
uh, the it's like blessing of the animals. They used to work together with the Central Park Zoo, and oh, they would okay. bring the animals over there. Do you for... know Saint Francis? He like he was like the he one loved with the animals. Squirrels? Yeah, the one with <laughs> the saint with the squirrels. That's probably how he was known in the day too. Probably. You know that guy with the you know squirrels over there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's the patron saint of. Oh, don't quote me on this specifically, but like mm-hmm. I think animals. animals. But mm-hmm. I know some people. Well, technically it's these animals, but like. <laughs> um, so every October fourth, we bless animals, uh, uh, and at. On at St. John the Divine, they would bring in like an elephant and giant zoo animals to to bless. Because like, look at all this space we have. We might as well fill it with elephants. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how they pick which animals get blessed and which oh, ones have no. to stay at the zoo. Oh no! Be like, listen, we can't do the birds after what happened last year. <laughs> <laughs> the birds that got too out of hand. <laughs> why do Clearly. Why did we bring a hundred species of rodents in here? <laughs> The snakes, come on. Oh. Wow, that's that's wild. Uh, oh, oh, here's an, here's something I also wanted to ask. This is like really hyper specific. So you do do you do uh yeah, this she'll be okay, she'll move into the other room. Uh and also I cut that out. Um but yeah, so in I know in so there's like this old timey calendar called Christian feast days, right? Where they have like the every day of the year is marked by a different saint or like a minor holiday in the church. Sure. How do you, do you, do you, you, when you're playing music for services, Mm -hmm. do you kind of, do you ever kind of stick to something like that when planning what music you're going to use? Oh, totally. Really? Yeah, that's that's part of our training. So, I mean, I thought that was like kind of phased out as like a, I didn't realize it still like um, was a present thing. Well, if you think about the big, occasion so christmas right right? like that makes sense you can pretty much come up with an idea in your head of what pieces are appropriate for christmas what you might expect to hear um it's the same thing with all of the major church holidays right so easter palm sunday all these things but you're talking about kind of like the minor saints and yeah like what do you play on october 6th Well, depending on what it is, like what Wikipedia you do is, could tell me. <laughs> yeah. well, what you do is like you look at the theme of the readings that they're reading that day and you pick mm. hymns that have the same themes. Um, you know, if it's the blessing of the animals, you might pick something that has a theme about that. Mm-hmm. You might bring um, in the theater organ and do some yeah, circus. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes yeah. the, the feast days have their own hymns sometimes. Okay. Yeah. So I figured they it's would. A good question. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And then sometimes, like, I don't know, whatever the day represents, like, the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or something, you pick hymns that pertain to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. So there is a whole church calendar. It actually starts in um, a week, sort of post-Thanksgiving yep. here. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of the church year is actually with Advent, which is a season right before Christmas where right. you prepare. And then it sort of cycles all the way through that um, back huh. to Thanksgiving the next year. Okay. Yeah. Is it a 365-day calendar? Or is it shorter? It is. It is. It it's, is? It, okay. There are certain holidays that are fixed. So Christmas, right, right is always December 25th. Mm-hmm. Christmas Eve is always. But then Easter is one of these holidays that actually moves around. And it's actually dependent on the cycles of the moon where it falls. Which makes sense. <laughs> makes more sense. Yeah. It's sort of a lunar calendars lunar just work calendar out very yeah, cleanly. Interesting, because yeah, I, I guess my whole life I never knew why we had to figure out when Easter was every year. It's like, isn't it? Can't it just be like a Thanksgiving or a Christmas well, it's, type. It's, but like... it's sort of like Mother's Day, right? Mother's Day is oh yeah the second Sunday or the so it, it just depends on yeah. whatever the date is. Okay, 
Interesting. It's a holiday thing, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was I was talking to my like I think the the idea of like the overlapping calendars is like very interesting. Like I was talking to my the, the guy who works at the smoke shop down the street. We go we're like regulars, and he was telling me about how Ramadan is shifting in the Islamic calendar. So now because you have to fast until the sun goes down. But with daylight savings, Ramadan in the winter, that happens quicker. Unless <laughs> it's actually worse right. if it's in the summer. And he was telling me that in 2030, they're gonna have two Ramadans in one year, one in June and one in like December or oh, something. Wow. So they're gonna have to feast tw- fast twice a year, but one's gonna be hard and one's gonna be easy. I thought that was interesting because it's like hmm. we have all these like religious calendars or lunar calendars that have to overlap with our normal right. daily stuff. Right. And everyone wants to cancel daylight savings. And I'm like, wait, are you guys thinking about the Muslims? Like, you guys, <laughs> you're going to make really them wait an extra hour? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, dep- I just thought of this. Depending on the time of year, I won't use certain stops on the organ, certain sounds. Like during Lent time, which is more solemn, I wouldn't use like. You give up a stop. <laughs> <laughs> no strings for Lent. Yeah, I gave it right. up this year because I love them so much. <laughs> no, I. Like, like, uh, Lent's a very solemn time of the year, so I wouldn't use loud, like, bright trumpet sounds or Which something. Which you might use closer to Christmas? Christmas, Easter. Easter. Yeah. Easter is, like, a big, big celebration. It's Resurrection Day, the trumpet mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, during Lent, I, I wouldn't have used trumpets, really, mm. or something. Maybe, like, sense. maybe some reads, like, an oboe on the organ. Maybe if, like, if it was a solo thing, mm-hmm. you know, but not, like, a big brassy sound mm-hmm. to keep it very solemn. Is there like a period of the year where you have more wiggle room for what kind of music you choose? Because I feel like for me, at least what I know is that like every like Easter, almost like all the way to winter seems like a pretty open time as far as church holidays. So do you have more flexibility or they always have a plan? Maybe. I mean, a lot of churches observe different mini seasons through Mm -hmm. that sort of summertime um, but otherwise, it can be referred to as ordinary time, okay. which is when they cycle through readings that are not sort of huge specific mm. holidays or festivals. Um, and then, yeah, you might have a little more flexibility, but we still try to program kind of with the theme of the day or yeah. right. feel like they're contributing mm-hmm. um, and not totally random. And during the yeah. summer, like choir takes a break. So in my old parishes, at least. So like I wouldn't play a lot of I wouldn't plan a lot of complex music or new music during Mm. the summer at least too i would like do like old chestnuts that they would love to sing you know Mm. and also like maybe a substitute if i went on vacation i'd have a substitute play i'd make sure i wouldn't give them a lot of complex music Mm -hmm. to play for it like hymns and stuff so during that time like like there you mentioned there's like a ton of organ music out there do you have like a, a rotation you would go through like every few months, especially during like ordinary time? Like, okay, I have like, these are my like top 20 pieces that I can kind of alternate and move around. Do you have something like that or? Sure. Yeah. I probably have a list of things that I play more often than mm-hmm. others. Um, yeah. I have things sure. like I'm familiar with mm-hmm. and like I would play them or hymns too. Mm-hmm. And obviously like some were my favorite, but I was like making sure, you know, too, like I was. Like doing this for the congregation, right? Ultimately, not for myself. Right, mm. right. Interesting. Have 
Has anyone ever given you a specific piece to play? All the time. All the time. Has yeah. there been anything that's Can you been... play this at my funeral? It was like the oh. biggest thing I would get. I'd be like, oh, wow, your funeral. We're getting to your death now. Whoa. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> Am I, is this your will happening right now? By <laughs> the executor? Uh, it's crazy because there's a lot of times I have like a bunch of like metal songs that I'm like, I do want these played at my funeral. <laughs> but huh. lyric video style so people understand the message. <laughs> but that's not for a while. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> but like, have you, have you guys ever been given like a piece? or like okay so for this service on this day i want you to do this yeah. and then it's like something way mm-hmm. complex or totally new yeah um you know we have a healthy dose of sort of new music that we add to our repertoire yeah are people still composing lots of organ music or oh yeah they're totally living composers who are writing Okay, because I figured within the scope of the church, I'm like, okay, those guys are probably like dead, and like they, you just have like, okay, <laughs> we have like 200 hours of songs to pick from, <laughs> but it's always like there's, people are adding yeah, stuff into still it. Plenty of new music that's being written. Okay, do you compose anything? I've composed a little bit, not a mm-hmm. whole lot. I mean, I often are, you know, if it's something specific, like we have an archbishop coming from a specific country and this is his favorite song. I, I once did an arrangement um, in Swahili of an anthem um, for a Sunday choir piece. And so often it's sort of practical and need-based for me. I, I yeah. haven't written as much kind of spontaneously, um, but yeah, a bit. That sounds like a crazy challenge, though. It sounds like a big project. <laughs> it was. It was sort of, I think, within two weeks, I kind of put something together. And Wow. Yeah. Dan, have you ever composed anything? Yeah, a few things, but nothing like... I've improvised, like like uh, Janet mm-hmm. was talking about earlier, like um, organists have to like sometimes like improvise like a little filler music mm-hmm. or sometimes a whole work, you know, on mm-hmm. the spot, like... A lot of my postludes, I would just, I would um, pick like a, a hymn tune, like mm-hmm. I don't know, like "Angels We Have Heard on High" or something, just mm-hmm. to like someone you're familiar with, and then make up a tune around that, mm. you know. But mostly the things I like actually wrote down were like little ditties mm-hmm. and stuff, like uh, Palm Sunday. I wrote a Hosanna chant mm. for because they they didn't like the old one, and so mm. I wrote one that was loosely based on kumbaya okay and they liked it was a little more uplifting Mm. you know more uh i think it was like hosanna hosanna and then two more things gotcha have you guys ever like translated like any modern music onto the organ Improvise sure, what have all you the done? time. You know, sneak all sorts of things into the improvs depending on <laughs> yeah yeah like what very sneakily um I'd rather not say. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Leave it a mystery. Leave it a Did mystery. Did she do that? <laughs> or was it just in her head? What about you, Dan? Uh, you can say all the tracks you snuck in. <laughs> I, I don't think I was ever good enough to say, like, confidently say I tried to sneak something in. Mm-hmm. But, like, I guess when I was improvising, sometimes I would, like, put in a tune and I didn't even realize it, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, sometimes you don't even realize... When you're making up music that you're playing someone else's stuff. Right. You know, kind of like, you know, maybe sometimes you're saying a bit mm-hmm. and you don't realize, oh, wait, they just made that joke earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. I was just thinking there's that there's an episode of The Simpsons 
where Bart switches out the, the organist sheet music for it's like I think it's the in garden, the garden of Eden. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That gets passed around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. and everyone starts singing along with it too. Yeah. <laughs> like mob mentality. Yeah, I love that. I'm like that's so cool. I would totally do that. I'm like, how hard would it be to like open up with some Lady Gaga at yeah. the beginning of the service and transition back to the normal Gosh. stuff? <laughs> I once played on Palm Sunday. There's this really long hymn called um, "All Glory, Lot and Honor." You know it, right? Uh-huh. I think it has seven verses. It's pretty long. Eight. Yeah, with mm-hmm. a we sang all of the verses to every hymn. Mm-hmm. Every and sometimes these were like seven, eight verse hymns. And so I got lost towards the end because <laughs> oh, no. I they were walking around, so I couldn't. They march around on Palm Sunday like mm-hmm. they did, and so I can't hear them right. in the back. So I'm like, wait, where am I again? And so I accidentally played like past the last verse oh, and they just started singing the first verse again, again. yeah <laughs> you're committed for a whole seven more I know. and then i afterwards had this realization i could have kept playing and they just they keep going yeah one of my teachers had a trick for that which is because usually there's so much going on and you're not only you're are you playing the notes and you're watching the congregation to see how long you've got to vamp for but you're also pressing these buttons that are called pistons okay so mm. those are the little round buttons that you see underneath the keys, which um, help you preset these combinations of stops that you want to pop out. Okay. Okay. So if you don't pull out any stops, there's no sound, but sometimes you want a quick change where you had all the strings on and you want to press a preset and then have a whole different combination of trumpets Mm. and flutes come out. Yeah. And so you've got to do these before you start playing, but, there's a lot going on. So uh, one of my teachers used to say, instead of singing the words along to the hymn, in your head, you just, in verse one, you just sing one, 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 one. And when you get to two, you sing two, two, two. Because it's really easy. That's to really one. clever, yeah. actually. It's actually, I use yeah. that all the time. <laughs> You're just going one, 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 one. Exactly. In your head, I, yes, it's a good tip. Yeah. It's the same thing as like dealing cards where you're like one, 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 <laughs> oh, two, totally. two, 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 two. It's yeah. exactly like that. It's just like that. it. Vegas, baby. <laughs> I had some presets where I'm like, all right, this is going to be my hymn preset or something on the great. And then yeah. like, maybe I want this on the swell. So, so these like this preset on these pistons. So like, I'm guessing you like pull out the stops you want and then like push the piston in or something and just like somehow locks it yeah, together. Yeah, a, a little setter button. and You'd be like mm. set and then you press the one you want to set to. And then like on, I had an electric organ, so it would like light up the, oh, nice. the stops. And then some of them like, it'll just be like, like the stops will like push out certain mm. ones. But that's where the phrase pulling out all the stops comes yeah. from. So pulling out all the stops literally means everything is playing all at once and it's Mm -hmm. super loud. So it's kind of going all in. Mm -hmm. And that's where that phrase. Have you ever done that? Like if you're like ever alone, just pull out all the stops, just slam on the thing and see. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's really, really great. Having a bad day, just want to go in. Bam! Just well. (laughs) Very therapeutic. therapeutic. Interesting. That's pretty cool. I've learned so much this episode. (laughs) You guys have been awesome. Uh, I do have one final question, though, for both of you, okay? Mm-hmm. So normally I ask this big, long thing, and it's not going to work here. But I just watched the episode of Seinfeld called The Pianist, and Jerry's like, I wonder how The Pianist like warms up. And 
someone's like they can't they they got to be practicing in the back so worry they can't hear they don't just crack their knuckles and go out there <laughs> and at the end he asked her he's like so how do you want it? she goes oh, i just crack my knuckles so <laughs> i so, think i remember that yeah like george's girlfriend yeah yeah right? when yeah. she's like way too good for him yeah but, I mean, which is the whole show <laughs> yeah but so how do you guys prepare yourself before you play for a sermon crying screaming no <laughs> a sermon too yeah service? so like service yeah That's yeah nice. so you're gonna do a whole hour hour and a half thing and you're gonna be on the organ the whole time what, what's your preparation steps before my recital like services i kind of just like i practice with the choir and that would be my mm-hmm. warm-up kind mm-hmm. of and like maybe if it was like a complex piece i would do that like the night before maybe mm-hmm. but not really before the service since like people are coming in mm-hmm. you know I guess one unusual thing is that you don't always get to practice on the instrument that you're going to play on eventually. So right. you might be on a smaller instrument somewhere different where you're just practicing the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of similar to the piano. But in addition to that, um, you can actually play because if all the stops are in and everything is quiet. You can actually practice silently mm. while other things are happening in the service. Mm-hmm. So occasionally I will do that. Um, if something tricky is coming up, I'll mm-hmm. practice it silently right before we're about to play. And if no one can see you, then you're you're in the clear. So, huh? So, like, it, like if a if a service is a like, like let's say you've got thirty minutes till service starts, mm-hmm. do you just go out there and maybe play a little bit silently, or okay. yeah, for sure? Interesting. That's kind of smart. It's kind of cool. Like unplug. I don't know. Actually, yeah, um, I think I would do that. Like unplug it, I turn it off, and mm-hmm. then just like if there was like a lick or something I couldn't get yeah. down, mm-hmm. I would just like do it over and over again, mm-hmm. and just like relax my hands was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I used to have like really tense, bad, uh, what do you call it? Like hand posture mm-hmm. technique that uh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize I had to like bring my wrists up so much. Yeah, for the you can get carpal time. tunnel. Yeah, easily. it was starting to tense up real bad. Yeah. I mean, I used to take a um, Alexander Technique class in music school, and it was taught by one of the dance teachers at Juilliard. And what she would do is have all the different musicians bring their instruments into the dance studio and play, and then she would sort of help you fix your posture. And she brought the class over to the organ practice room, and so I was showing her how you play. And she watched this for about 10 minutes and then just concluded that this is literally the worst thing you can possibly do <laughs> because your arms are suspended, your legs are suspended off the ground, and you're like playing and you have to be balanced and your feet aren't on the floor. Um, so she sort of just gave up on <laughs> this is not to. Uh, you're just like, my only yes. advice is stretch beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Just crack my knuckles and go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Well, guys, this has been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you, Dan, for bringing Janet. Janet, no problem. Thank you for coming on. This was so much fun. Um, I just saw how fascinated you were by the organ. Was like, let's bring like a real organist (laughs) in. You don't understand how 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 lack how I how non musical I am, and especially like the like I love when people discuss the technicalities of things. Sure. Even though I'm not, I can't fully comprehend things, especially like music. But I mm-hmm. like hearing like the little insights and pieces. Like mm-hmm. I had uh, Sasha's brother Leo on, and he's like a he's like a punk metal drummer, and it was great. It was so cool yeah. to talk about that and like keeping time and stuff. And yeah, so it's always good to learn these things, and I think uh, people will really like this episode. But 
thank you guys so much for giving me so much history and knowledge and answering all my ridiculous questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> this Thanks is great. Asking. Yeah. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. Um, coming up, uh, it is okay so this comes out after thanksgiving so uh enjoy your after thanksgiving (laughs) (laughs) i hope you had a nice time and i'll catch you next week bye